This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from St. Augustine's Moorland Anglican Church in Melbourne's Inner North. Today's big question, is the Bible too weird to be believed? We're asking this question today to Tom French. Now, according to his website, Tom is a speaker, writer, Bible teacher, human, and animagus. He has recently written a book called Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude, The Bible Exposed, and he joins me now. Please welcome Tom French. So, Tom, on your website, tomfrench.com.au, you claim to be a speaker, writer, human, and animagus. So what exactly is an animagus? It's, uh, it's from Harry Potter. Right. And it means that I have the ability to magically transform into an animal. It's right. uh, entirely untrue. <laughs> okay, right. I was going to uh, ask you to demonstrate perhaps that now. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, just, I just needed a fourth one to put on the website. So I was like, oh, let's just make that one up. Oh, yeah. okay, right. So hopefully yeah. no one tests it. Okay, right. So yeah. do you have an animal that you'd prefer to change into? Or? Yeah, I reckon maybe like some kind of bird because flying would be awesome. Probably like an eagle because okay. they can like soar around. They're right. kind of majestic. You don't want to be like a mouse or something or something, you know, a cockroach, something that gets trodden on? Definitely not. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah. Well, anyway, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions as we try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today we're talking with Tom French about the Bible being weird. So, Tom, our smaller questions to you today are about weird things. There's two questions, both multiple choice. Now, on a YouTube video entitled 12 Weird Things Our Ancestors Did, which of the following was number one and hence considered the weirdest thing our ancestors did? Okay, was it A, promoting radioactive beauty products? Was it B, using heroin as a cough remedy? Was it C, using rocks as toilet paper? Or was it D, live alarm clocks, people who went around waking others up by tapping on windows or using pea shooters? So which of those are all true, apparently? Which of those was considered the weirdest? The, the weirdest. Yeah. Probably the heroin. That's a weird it's, thing. It's pretty weird. It's not as weird as one of the other ones, though. Oh, oh is it? It's not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, um, the radioactive. Yeah, okay. Is that maybe the, the actual, right? actual answer is actually, I was just thinking maybe about your book, which talks about, you know, Rocks as toilet paper perhaps could be pretty weird. So the answer oh, yeah. is actually C. Oh, it's obviously the weirdest. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's definitely Now um, that you mention it. We'll try to get you to pass. We'll see how you go. <laughs> Pressure's on. <laughs> Question two. The online auction site eBay has a section called Weird Stuff, including a subsection called Really Weird Stuff. Now, which of these weird things on eBay was the most expensive? Okay. Was it A, magical unicorn poo, slime purple putty with fruity smell, was it B, 25 vintage human prosthetic glass eyes? Was it C, a deformed cheesel? Or D, a heart-shaped potato chip? So which of those was the most expensive on eBay in their section Weird Things? Oh, this is so difficult. It is difficult, people, yeah. People just do all sorts of strange things. They like, do, yeah. I, I feel like probably the, the eyes are like like economically the best like investment yes possibly yeah yeah but the but that's not the that's, weirdest that's not thing the weirdest no, no. no. I, would, I wouldn't <laughs> no. go with that one <laughs> no i wouldn't yeah no i wasn't going to go there anyway good, good, so, good. <laughs> uh but maybe well they, um, they were the second weirdest they were the second most expensive just to yes. put it in context yes. so it's probably edible i'm guessing no yeah well, yeah it's, it's probably yeah, edible yeah, yeah great you've got to narrow this down and then um probably the cheesel 
the chisel? Or the... Or the heart-shaped... Potato chip! Yes, potato, yeah. that's right, the potato chip. The heart-shaped potato chip was up on eBay for $1,950, apparently, and the chisel was only for 99 cents. That's a strange way of pricing things. Well, it's weird. I suppose it's really weird yeah, stuff, someone, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Someone should so, sort that out. Um, so, but it beat Unicorn Poo and Prosthetic Eyes, um, so it does pay to shop around if you're looking for really weird stuff. Now, Tom... Maybe you're not weird enough for you nearly got one of our two smaller questions right, but please give him a big hand anyway. So, Tom, you wrote a book which dealt with the weird stuff of the Bible, weird, crude, funny and new to the Bible exposed. Now, it includes lots of references to kind of, you know, poos, crudity, farts, though perhaps not so much of the unicorn kind. Can you tell us a bit bit about your book? Yeah, so uh, the book is written to have a look in depth at all the parts of the Bible that I could find. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of the parts of the Bible that I could find where there was nudity, toilet humor, uh, sex in the way that is amusing if Mm -hmm. you have the humor of a 12-year-old boy, (laughs) which I do. And uh, and I wanted to look at all those parts of the Bible and say, well, what actually are they doing in there? Are they they just there for giggles or is there actually more to it? Right, okay. And so, so you've actually gone through and looked at a number of these different stories. Yeah, there's about 15 of them that I found, the, the 15 top. The 15 top weird, crude, funny and nude parts of That's the Bible. That's it. Yeah. So what inspired the book though? Probably two things. One is that I grew up in church and I would spend a lot of time in church sitting there while the minister talked and there were the pew Bibles and I would pull them out and I would go through looking for anywhere where there was mentions of or nudity or <laughs> right. sex and that would keep me interested and I grew up I went to a Christian school and so we'd get together and have Bible studies in the bits where there was you know mention of breasts or something anything <laughs> right. that that would make us laugh and so there okay. was that part which I was like well you know I'd like to write a book about all those bits of the Bible but the other thing so was, you're aiming at 12 year old boys is kind of your pretty, target market pretty yeah. much yeah. yeah okay or at least those of us who enjoy the same kind of things sure as okay haven't grown up past there yeah. and the other thing was I when I was a teenager, I went to a, a camp and uh, I heard someone teach the Bible and it was the first time uh, when this woman spoke, she taught the Bible in a way where I went, well, that actually is important and relevant and it's important in my life. And so that for me was a really big deal and I wanted to write something that would help um, young people particularly to in- be able to engage with the Bible in a way where they go, oh yeah, this is actually important and relevant mm. to me. So you still think that the weird parts of the Bibles are just as significant as the rest of the Bible? Yeah, absolutely. They're just as significant. One of the things I write about in the book is that it's kind of based on this thought of uh, 2 Timothy. It says, all the scriptures God breathed yeah. and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, which means every part of the Bible is given to us by God and every part of the Bible is important. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about these parts of the Bible is they're the bits that we read less. And so in some ways, there's kind of more treasure to be found there um, just because we don't spend a lot of time looking at them. And so it's kind of exciting to say, oh, you know, what are we going to learn from the bears that more 42 youths or right. from you know, the, the time that Noah gets drunk and naked? Like, what do we have to learn about that? It's, yeah. it's exciting. And so that's what your book explores. But before yeah. we, we're going to look at a couple of those stories right now. But what do you think makes something weird, though? Because isn't weirdness just kind of a matter of perspective? Yeah, it is pretty subjective. And I think it's, it's about stuff that's out of the ordinary and stuff that feels like things just aren't quite right. Right. Uh, and to some degree, a lot of the weird stuff in the Bible is weird to us from our 21st century perspective because they're doing things that would have made sense in their culture, which doesn't make sense in our culture. But there are other things which are just would be weird in any culture. Like in the book of Matthew, uh, in the, the 
the biography of Jesus. There's this part where Jesus is dying on the cross and just as he dies, these tombs split open and a bunch of people who were dead get up and come out of their tombs and then go visiting people, which right. that would so, be weird in any culture. That's kind like, of like, almost like a, zo- a zombie apocalypse or something, yeah, is it? Yeah, so that, like, that is weird. Sure, okay. Um, well, why don't we just have a look at some of these weird parts of the Bible and consider some of the bits of your Bible you feature in your book, Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude. And the first weird story from the Bible we're looking at comes from the Old Testament book of Judges. So what's happening in the book of Judges? What's going on? So the book of Judges uh, occurs uh, in this particular point in the history of Israel uh, where they've just been released from Egypt yep. and they've finally made it to the land and they're trying to establish themselves as a nation. And while they're establishing themselves as a nation, their job is to worship um, their God and to... The, the um, God of the Bible. The God of yep. the Bible, yep. that's true, and to obey him and live the way he calls them to. But at the same time that, that they are trying to do that, they're also looking at all the other nations around them and they're like, oh, that God looks pretty good and that God looks pretty good. And they see the, the gods of the other nations uh, which is not the God of the Bible, and they decide to worship them. And then this cycle begins where God then allows them to be ruled over by other people, yeah. and then they cry out to God for help. And at that point, he raises up a judge who helps them to fight against their enemies, and then they thank God and they worship him for a, uh, a, a while, yeah. and then they look at the other gods and go, oh, those gods look all right, and then they worship them, and then they get subjected, and then they cry out, and it's this cycle that happens all the way right. through the book of Judges. So these judges are kind of like good guys for the nation of Israel, the people of God. Yeah, they are good guys. They're not that good. Like, <laughs> okay, right. As you go through the book of Judges, they kind of get worse and worse and behave right. in... Okay, well, in chapter three, we meet, we meet the second of these judges, and it features a guy named... Ehud. So who was Ehud anyway? We don't, we don't know a lot about him. It doesn't tell us. It tells us that he was a Benjaminite, which means he came from a very small tribe. Uh, it tells us that he was a left-handed man. Okay. Uh, which that seems a bit weird. It, it is, is. Is that significant? Well, I think it's the significance of it in the Bible. We don't exactly know what they're meaning, but one is that um, it, it could be that it's just saying that he's, he was a tricky man because maybe in those days we saw left-handed people as tricksters. Uh, right. What it did, it allowed him to do this particular move, which we'll see in the story, where he strapped his sword to his right yeah. thigh and he could reach it with his left hand. So when they would have searched him for a sword, uh, as we'll see later, they don't find his sword because it's on the wrong side and so he can trick them that way. <laughs> oh, okay, right. Uh, yeah, but yeah. the other thing I think that's interesting about that is that it tells us that he's restricted in his right. So we don't actually know that he's left-handed in just that his right hand is not the dominant hand. So it could be that he's got a disability. It could be a birth defect. It could be bitten off by a shark. We don't know exactly <laughs> why he's like he is, but he's left-handed. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, at the time, the Israelites said that they were subjected to a foreign power, as you've mentioned before, and this one was the nation of Moab under a king called Eglon. Eglon. Okay, so what happened? What did Ehud do? So, uh, yeah, Ehud w- went to visit Eglon and he had to pay tribute. So tribute's uh, like a, sort of paying your royalties, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So because they were being ruled over, the ruling nation was like, well, we are in charge of you, so you've got to give us grain and money and all this kind of stuff. So yeah. Ehud goes in to visit the king. The king is a very large man. He's spent a lot of time living off the spoils of his rulership. Yeah. And so... Well, Ehud says, I have a secret message for you, yes. O king. So that, and that piques the king's interest, doesn't it? It does, because the king likes secrets for some reason. And uh, and actually, what it tells us, in the Bible it says a secret message, but in the original Hebrew, it doesn't say message. So I have a secret for you. So the king might just be excited, like he might think it's a secret donut that he's about to get. <laughs> right. Or something. So the king's really well, excited. Which might appeal to him, perhaps, given yeah. his... Yeah. yeah. So 
he sends yeah. he sends everyone out of the room. It's just him and Ehud, which is a very silly thing to do. Like if you rule over a subjugated people, you don't put yourself alone in a room with one of these people that you're ruling over. Like he has not read Dictatorship for Dummies. Like he <laughs> doesn't know what to do. But he sends them all out. And so then Ehud says to him, you know, here is a message from God. Yeah, so in verse 20, I have a message from God for you. Well, I have a message, I have a secret for a you. Secret, there it is. And in Judges 3, 21 to 22, the story reaches its dramatic climax. I'll read it out. It says, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. Now, Tom, you think this is the most awesome verse in the Bible. Look, it's certainly why up is, there. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's this, this story about a fat king who gets stabbed and then he poops himself. <laughs> like, you don't some expect... versions of it sort of say there's dirt came out, but that's probably a, that's a, that's a very, very sanitized version. Yeah, very nice way of putting it. I like that, they, that the NIV puts it so clearly, that his bowels discharged. Like one of the um, Bible scholars that I read talked about it as being that Ehud's sphincter exploded, his anal sphincter exploded. Like that is insane. You don't expect that to be in the Bible. Like normally you're like, you're expecting nice poetry, like, <laughs> as the deer pants for the water, yeah. so my soul longs after. You don't expect fat people pooing themselves <laughs> as they get stabbed, but here it is. And so in it means the, like the Bible has stuff for everyone, like, <laughs> even people with sense of humor like me. Right. So, okay. So, so that's what you make. And then, well, then Ehud then makes his escape. He does. And leaves. So what do you make of uh, his servants? In verse 24, it says, after he, Ehud, had gone, the servants came. When they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, hmm, he must be relieving himself in the cool chamber. So they certainly must have smelt something. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is in the Bible. So what, what do you make of this? Yeah, so like, the servants are there outside the door and they're like sniffing and they're like, oh gosh, man, the king is definitely having a big day today. <laughs> and, and they're embarrassed to go in because you don't walk in on people on the toilet, particularly not the, the king. king. Yeah, that's right. And so, and so this is like a, a diversionary tactic which Ehud uses to escape yeah, it's, uh, a, it's a pretty, that's an impressive diversionary tactic, perhaps. Yeah, the old... Did you, the, the SAS could use this in covert yeah, operations? So. I think so, the old poop diversion. <laughs> <they> can, <laughs> okay, yeah. So when the servants came in, do you think that they used rocks to clean it up? Uh, yeah, probably. probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, right, yeah. So what, what goes on then? What happens? Well, then uh, Ehud escapes from the palace and then he gathers all the people of Israel together and blows a trumpet and, he, and then he leads them in battle against the Moabites and... Uh, he leads them to victory, and so then uh, Israel is then uh, free from the Moabite rule, and they live for 80 years of peace. Right, wow. So it's kind of a good news story then for the Israelites. They kind of, they kind of get their freedom. They do. They get their freedom until they lose it again in the next chapter. <laughs> the next chapter, right, yeah. So what do you make of this story? It's kind of a fairly dramatic, uh, weird and slightly gory story, but what do you make of it? I think what it shows us is the, the, the character of God is one where he saves his people. Mm -hmm. And it tells us in the passage earlier that the Israelites, they, they cry out to God when they're being ruled over but it doesn't tell us that they've you know repented they've gone oh no we shouldn't be worshiping these other gods they're just like we don't like being ruled over so they cry out to god yeah and then he sends someone to save them uh who is this strange man who takes this responsibility on for himself it doesn't actually tell us that he heard from god at all he just does it he decides to go and stab the fat king all by himself and god uses that to rescue his people mm -hmm. so, so what does that indicate then what does that show God is working even when uh, we don't know that he's working. Mm -hmm. It shows us that God is willing to save his people even when we don't quite have our hearts right. And I think it gives us a picture of Jesus. So in the Bible, it shows us God's son who came to us 
And he came to rescue us. In uh, the book of Romans, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right. And that we were in the middle of doing the wrong thing, worshipping other gods, rebelling against God, and God still sent his son Jesus to live and to die and to rise again for us. So Ehud and Jesus, in some ways, they're not the same though, are they? They're not the same. No. So <laughs> there are similarities. Similarities yeah. in that um, they both rescue God's people. Uh, but well, Ehud does it by... By stabbing a fat king, Jesus, it tells us he himself is stabbed for us. And he doesn't kill anyone, but he himself is killed. And through that death, he rescues us. So that, in that way, that's how this story, in some respects, connects with the rest of the, the Bible. Yeah, it's one of these things where you see, as you look through the Bible, there's this continuing echo of the great story of God rescuing his people. And you just see it again and again and again, all the way through. Mm. And here's one of those echoes that we see. Mm. But this part of the Bible does use violence to reach its conclusion. So how can we have a violent hero? Is the Bible here gratifying violence? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think that what the Bible does is it tells a, an honest story about who we are. And we live in a violent world. And it doesn't, just because there is violence doesn't mean that God is endorsing it and saying this is the way to get things done. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see God work in his son Jesus, and Jesus has the perfect representation of God he doesn't use violence Mm -hmm. he doesn't attack people but he himself has violence done to him and so he rescues us in non-violent ways Mm. and so there is the perfect picture of what what God is like but God uses means which are not always the cleanest means because he's using people who are not always the cleanest people but he still works well that's the old testament but what about the new testament the body of writings which follow the coming of Jesus and the establishment of the Christian church there are weird crude funny and nude parts in there as well Yes, there are. Yeah, you write about one nude and slightly weird incident near the end of the Gospel of Mark. Now, perhaps it's the first ever incident recorded of streaking in world history. Now, can you tell us a bit about this story? It starts with Jesus making a prediction. Yeah, so Jesus is having dinner with his disciples. It's the Last Supper. It's the night of his arrest. Mm -hmm. And they're having dinner together, and he says to them, all of you are going to fall away. Yeah. And Peter uh, speaks up and is like, oh, I'm not going to. And Jesus is like, even you, Peter, are going to fall away. And so then they leave the, the dinner and they go out to pray together. And Jesus is obviously in anguish. And right at that point when they're praying, they all fall asleep. So these people who've said that they're going to be with Jesus through anything can't even stay awake with him. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, they, he, he wakes them all up. And, and then at that point, Judas, one this of his is, disciples. This is where he's betrayed. Jesus yeah, is betrayed. Comes to him with a bunch of soldiers and they arrest Jesus. Yeah, so in chapter 14, verse 50, we read, All of them, the disciples, deserted him and fled. A certain young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. Now, I've heard of streakers at sporting matches, but that you wouldn't exactly expect a nudie run at the, you know, the capture of Jesus, which is perhaps one of the most profound moments of world history. So what, what, do, you, what do you make of this story? It seems like a pretty inappropriate time to be naked, like when the, the Lord and Saviour of the earth is, is being arrested and you're running around in the nude. Like that's, <laughs> It's not the right time to be doing it. But I think what it, it shows us here is how truly alone Jesus is, mm-hmm. that all his closest friends have left him. And even this guy who has been following along, probably wasn't one of the 12 disciples, um, but he is there and when they see him, they grab at him and he runs away and he's more afraid to be caught with Jesus than he's afraid to be caught naked in the streets. Right. Like that shows how keen everyone was to desert To just Jesus. run away from him. Yeah. yeah. And so why would, it, why would an author record this? Probably because it actually happened. As Mark, the gospel writer, was writing it down, 
Um, there's a few theories about what's going on there. It could be that he was talking to an eyewitness and they were saying, you know, and then Jesus was arrested and, oh, and there was that nude guy. <laughs> Put that in. And it's like you, if you're making up a story about, about God's Messiah, you wouldn't make up the bit about the nude guy running around. Like, like you probably would only put that in if it actually happened. Right, yeah, yeah. So we don't know this guy's name. Is no. that important? I think it's definitely left anonymous for a reason. Like, some people think it could be Mark. Like, he put a... The author. Mark, the author, he put a cameo of himself in there. Kind of like Alfred Hitchcock put himself in his own movies. Kind of an odd cameo to put in a book. Yeah, I like, I, I would give myself... Hi. <laughs> I would be like the other guy. I'd be like, hey, Jesus, you know, why did you... Turn that water into wine. Yeah, I, like I'd put that in as a cameo. I would not be the guy who runs away from Jesus naked. But, but if if Mark wrote that as a cameo, then, then that's what he did. But yeah. I think he's particularly left uh, anonymous because all of us could be that person. Yeah, all of us. How could, so? I, th- I think what it highlights is that there was important things going on. Uh, it actually seems to be a, a fulfillment of a prophecy uh, in the Book of Amos. Uh, which talks about how... Which says, I think there's a... Pro- oh, which gonna, says, oh, I've, got the, oh, I've got it here. It says, it. even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. Yeah. So there's, you think there's a connection to this story? Yeah, so I think it's a fulfillment of that prophecy, where, which is talking about that day is talking about the day of the Lord, which yeah. in the Old Testament is saying the day that God's judgment is going to come upon the earth. And as you look at the story of Jesus, you see that God's judgment does fall upon the earth, but not in the way that people expect it with like thunderbolts and lightning and very, very frightening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of thing. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, but actually God's judgment does fall, but it falls upon his son, Jesus. Right. So the day of the Lord has arrived and here is the fulfillment of that. In people running away in naked. In people running away naked. Right. Um, just okay. one of the fulfillment of prophecy yeah. and probably one of the more interesting ones. Yeah. <laughs> but he's also left... Anonymous, as you said, for a reason, yeah. so that that could be any of us. Yeah. So, so what, 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 how does that resonate with you? Well, I certainly don't always feel like I want to own up to my uh, commitment to Jesus. Like I often am, am embarrassed by um, my faith uh, because there are things that Jesus teaches us which don't always gel well with our culture. Um, people don't often uh, think that faith is one of the best virtues to have. You can feel attacked as a Christian, whether or not you are being attacked. You can feel it. Yeah, and yeah. you don't want to... You feel uncomfortable. You feel uncomfortable. You don't want to own your faith. And so there are definitely times, not when I've run away naked from Jesus, but I, <laughs> I haven't also stepped up and owned my faith when I should have. Yeah. And I think what, what is great about this story is that even though I am someone who isn't always faithful to Jesus, Jesus is faithful to me. Like at that point in the story, Jesus could have said, right, there's a nude guy at my arrest. I've had enough. Like, <laughs> these are not people who are worth dying for. I'm going back into heaven. I'm done. Yeah. But he doesn't. Even though he has been deserted by his friends, he still goes to the cross and dies. So even though he is abandoned, he doesn't abandon yeah. us. And even though I might abandon Jesus, he doesn't abandon me. Mm. The Bible contains all sorts of weird, crude, funny and nude bits. We've looked at a couple now. How can you still believe it, even if it's just weird? I think because, like I said before, my life is, is full of weird stuff that happens. <laughs> okay. Well, weirdness is perhaps a matter of perspective, as, as we've talked it's about before. A matter of perspective. But, but I, and I certainly feel like I've got the, these stories of my own, which are, there are some weird, crude, funny and nude stories in my life. Some stories which I love to tell and they get good laughs. And some stories which I'm embarrassed about and don't want to talk to anyone about. Yeah. And the Bible shows us all the, the full gamut of humanity. Uh, and so what we see in this these stories are actually, it's a true representation of life here mm. on earth. It's not just the sanitized version. Yeah. So why do you believe it then? I believe it because all the way through my life, like, as I said, I grew up in church and I, you know, so these is, that, is that why you believe just because you kind of grew up in it? No, no. But as I've heard these stories 
I've seen people put them into practice, and I've seen swords in fat guys. Haven't stabbed any fat people. <laughs> right, okay. uh, but just saying, you know, is God someone you can trust? Yeah. Is someone? Is he someone who provides for you? Is he someone who cares for you? Is he someone who is has forgiveness for you even when you are at the the deepest level of your sin? Is he someone who still loves you? And again and again and again, I keep coming back to the fact that this is true. Mm. That there there was a man Jesus who lived and and he died and he rose again. Mm. And if he actually rose again, then I can trust him. Mm. And all these other things uh, in the Bible, they speak to me as as truth because I see it clearly reflected. Well, there's a question that's come in from our uh, text line from our live audience here, which actually relate, relates exactly to that point. It says, Jesus being raised from the dead is pretty weird. How do you come to believe this, Tom? I, I come to believe it because I don't see any better explanation uh, for the things that happened. The fact that you have this explosion of of Christianity after Jesus died, the, the fact that you have all these people who are willing to go to their deaths, the disciples who are willing to be tortured and killed for the truth of this guy who came back from the dead. Like, you do not die for a lie. Someone would have spoken up and said, well, before you kill me, actually we made that stuff about Jesus up. Mm. Like, these, these are kind of things where I go, well, I, I can't explain it any other way, so it must be true that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, the famed atheist and scientist Richard Dawkins once said about the Bible... He said, to be fair, much of the Bible is not systematically evil, but just plain weird, as you would expect of a chaotically cobbled together anthology of disjointed documents. How do you respond to Richard Dawkins' comments? I would, I would say first you should watch Star Wars, because when you look at the Star Wars 9 films, not that we have on 9 yet, uh, even like trying to get 9 films right they haven't quite managed to do that. And there's been like a few directors, a few writers. They, over across like 40 years, they haven't figured it out. Yeah. The Bible is written over 3,500 years with 40 different authors and it tells one story. Yeah. So you see this story that, that goes across from the beginning of time to the end of time, which is a story of God continually seeking his people and rescuing them. Like to have these themes that span thousands of years across all these different people like it's not just cobbled together there is one author across all 40 authors who is looking after it and it all tells one story of God's love and when you see all these weird bits like I said I think it actually attests to the truth of it like you wouldn't put these things in if they didn't happen or if they weren't speaking about the truth of what who we are and who God is so you can still believe even if you don't understand everything in the bible Absolutely, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I don't understand everything in my own life, but, <laughs> but I exist. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to believe because the, the big things uh, are true. And the big things that, that there is a God, that he loved me in his son Jesus, and he continues to love me, and he's, he's coming back. Like, those things I can trust, and the rest of it I'm happy to figure out as we go along. So, Tom, is the Bible too weird to be believed? Oh, it's just weird enough to be believed. <laughs> Let me leave you with one of the Bible's weird stories from Judges 3, 21 to 22. Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. I look forward to you joining us next time for bigger questions. Please thank our guest today, Tom French. Enjoy bigger questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.